Hi, I'm Malcolm Hawker, and this is the CDO Matters Podcast, the show where I dig deep into the strategic insights, best practices, and practical recommendations that modern data leaders need to help their organizations become truly data-driven. Tune in for thought-provoking discussions with data, IT, and business leaders to learn about the CDO matters that are top of mind for today's chief data officers. Good morning, afternoon, evening, uh, whatever time it is, wherever you are, whenever you are consuming this wonderful content. My name is Malcolm Hawker. I'm the host of the CDO Matters podcast. Thank you so much for joining me and my esteemed guest today. I am joined by Tom Redmond, aka The Data Doc, uh, a president of Data Quality Solutions, longtime thought leader in the space. I met Tom. Tom, when did I meet you? Like maybe about a year ago, I want to say. Um, well, we started chatting a year or so ago, and yeah. we first met face-to-face, I don't know, last month. Yeah, that was weird. I think it was last month in San Diego when we first saw when we were first face-to-face. But even before the year before we had met individually, I mean, I had known of Tom. If you're in the, the data and analytics space, if you're active on LinkedIn, if you're going to conferences, uh, you know, if, if you're kind of out there, chances are pretty good you would have run into Tom over the years because he's long been engaged in, in our community has long been held and known as uh, as a thought leader in the space. I was just kind of doing some research on you, on you, Tom, last night. Um, this is why when we were backstage, I referred to you as, as Dr. Redmond. I, I didn't know, or maybe I, I had forgotten you had a PhD uh, from, from Florida State, of all places. Uh, my wife uh, did her graduate work at, at Florida State. I'm, I'm a gator. Did we ever, have we ever talked about this? Maybe we have. Oh, no, almost certainly not, or we'd, you know, be fighting now. <laughs> <laughs> so I did my graduate work at, at UF. Uh, right. Never proceeded as far as, as as a PhD, but I did get my master's from uh, from the University of Florida. So there we go. We have something in common that we that we didn't that we didn't realize. But um, anyway, um, I'd been following Tom's work for a long time. Uh, uh, author, uh, published all the time in in HBR, uh, Sloan Management Review, other really highly regarded esteemed publications. Um, w- one of the people that's actually out there doing research in, in our world. So thrilled you could join us today, Tom. Um, excited to talk about your book that will uh, be publishing two days before this episode is is launched. So by the time uh, people are, are are listening or watching to this, they'll have the opportunity to go get the new the new book, uh, People and Data. That was the working title. Is that is that is that the final title? People and data. Yes, that is the that is the final title. People and data. Okay, because I, I I was I was lucky enough to have an advanced copy that I uh, I, I excitedly digested, um, enjoyed reading it, and could thoroughly uh, recommend it to everybody. We're going to talk about that book today. We'll talk about all sorts of different stuff in the in the data analytics space. Tom and I I talk all the time. Um, and our and our conversations are are generally fairly lively. So hopefully that will. Uh, That'll um, you know carry forward to today. But enough about me, Tom. Why don't you spend just a little bit, kind of sharing the the underlying premise of the book? I think, like many, it, I got the sense that it was a COVID book. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, in the sense, look, Malcolm. For a long time, I've um, you know you mentioned I'm a thought leader, and so actually, I mean, the, the the work I'm most proud of is is my work with clients. As, as we try to, you know, struggle to figure out how we're going to make data quality, data and so forth, you know, fit in their organizations and, and get them moving, right? And so 
So I started my, my, my career at Bell Labs. And when I was there, I had one foot in these enormous AT&T problems and then one foot in a lab. And, and in a sense, you know, the best of real work leading to a theoretical understanding, leading to real work. And, and so uh, I left Bell Labs a long time ago, but I've managed to maintain that back and forth, back and forth. And, um, and it is true that, that, that during COVID, that was a great time to synthesize things. And, um, and so the, 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 I made an observation, you know, sort of early there that, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And, and, um, and it was so obvious once I saw it, but I saw it from, from so many perspectives. And that is the idea, the simple idea that everything we want to do in the data space depends on regular people, right? Now, now, um, you know, when I'm being good, I just describe regular people as those without data in their title. And um, when I'm being a little snarky, it's, you know, those who are smart enough not to have data in their title. Kind of but, you know, the um, and, and, and so sort of like, you know, one way of looking at this is just take anything we want to do. So like maybe we want to improve data quality. Well, data quality depends on data creators and, and data customers, and those are regular people. Uh, suppose we want to conduct a data science project or, or implement AI. I mean, step one is understand the problem. And so you, you as a data scientist or an analyst or whatever, you can't do that alone. You have to work with regular people to, to understand the problem. And, 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 and so as I went through thing after thing after thing, it became clear that anything we want to do depended on, on regular people. Um, and, then, and then there was this, this like second view of this thing that really sort of empowered the first. But if you look at an organization today and you look at where the data management is actually being done, it is being done by regular people. It's, it's being done by people with sales in their title or marketing or operations. And, and what happens is they need data to do their job. And when that data is not good enough, then they spend an incredible amount of time cleaning it up, fixing it up, verifying, getting other sources, setting up spreadsheets and so forth. So like the, the, the all, almost all the work, actual data management work, is being done by people without data in their titles day in and day out simply so they can they can do their job and and it is really important to understand that they're doing this without any training without any guidance without any support and so basically basically on their own and and I hope uh, people are listening. I mean, if you have data in your title, I mean, you're just horrified by this, right? You know, this is where the data management is being done and, and smart people doing their best. But, but, you know, again, I mean, not professional data managers, not trained or, or anything like that. And, and so that was sort of like the second line. And, and then the third line is, you know, we've been talking about, I don't know, since I've been around, that, you know, data can be transformational, right? So, you know, I, I don't know if there is an MBA class, you know, MBA 101, Transformation 101. But if there was, on day one, the first lesson would be get everyone involved. Okay. You can't do anything that's transformative and, unless you get everyone involved. And, and, and so, I mean, like, like just take these three different streams of thought. What do we want to do? What's being done now? The possibility of transformation. 
all point in a bright, bright, shiny light to, to, to regular people. And, and I feel that the main thing, if you take only one thing out of, out of people and data, it, it, is, it is the primacy of regular people in the data space and the need to, to get them involved in everything we do. Well, one of the things that struck me, like one of the aha kind of moments to me in the book, which I assume was one of the, the aha moments that led you to write it, was this simple assertion or what would seem otherwise simple assertion that for a long time, you know, data people see people as the problem when people are the, actually the solution. And, and that, that, that mindset to me was, it was a great kind of galvanizing force to, to put my mind in the right frame as I progressed through the book. Cause I think, I think that, that, that mindset of, oh, people are, they just don't get it. Or you can lead the horse to water or like all of this, all of the stuff that you and I have talked about so much uh, from the perspective of, you know, kind of you know, blaming um, of the consumers of maybe even a faulty product. The mindset shift to saying, aha, they're the answer. They're not the problem to, to me was, okay, that kind of laid the found the, the, the path in front of me that allowed me to just kind of keep walking forward. Cause I always, I always kind of anchored back to that. And it was that mindset shift that was, was to me, arguably probably the most powerful thing about consuming the book. Yeah. Um, and it was a great way to kind of set things out. So, 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 so thank you for that because I couldn't agree more. Right. You know, you know, Malcolm, I mean, it's a really great call out. Um, a lot of tech people, I mean, even have this word wetware for for people. Right. And it's kind of like, you know, well, do whatever you want to do with the tech and then deal with the wetware. And I mean, just, you know, it's a, a, a sort of there's a naivete about it. But further, I mean, like there's, you know, it, it's kind of offensive. Right. Um, you know, things in the world happen through people and. And uh, and people are amazing. I mean, so once you you know get them working and, and and solving problems, they come up with things that that are just simply stunning. Yeah. Well, you one of the things that I, I appreciate also from the book, and I, I think this gets back to the very first thing that that you said at the start of our conversation, which is you're 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 particularly proud not of being a thought leader or things that you published or anything else, but the work you've done with clients. And right. one of the things that I appreciated the most in the book. And I, I didn't know whether they were true anecdotes or they were they were maybe somewhere in the middle, but but you would always kind of anchor back to some use cases, right? With 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 right. people who were doing real stuff, right? right. Um, and 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 real real work and 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 supporting business processes, and that's something that that I that I actually enjoyed because it kind of always brought me back from the kind of the conceptual, maybe architecture centric or data quality centric to the, okay, the, these are the people that are actually really doing the work. So that's something I actually, uh, I, I found was also grounding through, through the, right. through the path of the book. So I, I look, I mean, we did make use of some personas to, to sort of illustrate yeah. some main points just to collapse some people, but in terms of, of things that have actually been done, there's nothing in there that has not worked in practice. Um, I, I, I don't want to say that anything in the book is typical, right? But frankly, I mean, I think the book is 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 ahead of its time, and it's, I mean, you can't really say that about your book. But but ev everything in that book has worked, and it has worked well. Um, and the thing I'm most proud of was it it, it made people's lives better, right? It, it made their jobs easier and simpler and 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 more powerful, and enabled them to take control. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that, 
there's 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 a few things I th- I, I would like to press on because I'm I'm a bit of a provocateur myself, and and one of them is that you, that you that you say in the book, um, and and it's really and you say it in a few different ways, which is arguably what is a shortage of leadership in in, in our in our space, and and I and I would really love to shine a little bit more of a light on that. Because CDOs are our our audience here, but but also because I'm not entirely sure that the idea of leadership in the data space is well defined. Um, I'm a little concerned that that how we've been historically defining leadership is maybe slightly a little bit misguided. When you say the time for better leadership is now, and you say it a couple of different times in the book, point blank, frankly, what what, what is that? What does that mean to you? Well, so so look. I, f- first of all, I mean the way I think of of leadership, it is you know he, she, or they who are out in front, um, and and I I you know something I think it can be individuals, it can be people. I I um I have uh, I talked in the book a lot about I think like senior corporate leadership so far in the data space has stayed on the sideline, right? I, exactly. I think we yep. yeah. Right. We with data in our titles have have made it really, really hard for them to know what to do. But I, when you're talking about data leaders, I mean, I, I think, you know, we're talking about well, what can we with data in our titles do better? And and for me, the first thing that we've not not done is we've not recognized reality on the ground as it is. All right. And. And the unfortunate reality on the ground is, is most things in the data space are failing. Now, I, 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 you know, your eyes got wide, but, but it, it's really, it's, it's yeah. not that simple because there's these amazing points of light where things really got better. It's okay. And, and I, you know, I spend most of my time on data quality. Well, data quality, if you do it right, if it, as described in the book, it's, it, it is amazing. Right, well, you can you can eliminate orders of magnitude of error and the cost associated with that, and empower people. And but but that's not the way most attack the problems. Most attack the, the data quality problem by going and 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 buying a tool and and seeing what they can do with the tool, and they don't get at the root causes of the data quality issue. So I think the first thing is is too many people in the data spaces we. We are not seeing the full reality, and we are not acknowledging the reality. And and in particular, like I, you know, I, I talk to people in governance, and I, I kind of say, yeah, you know, it seems like that's not really very popular. And I'm, I'm kind of dancing around, and then, and I always get this nervous giggle, and it's oh yeah, there's that, right? Well, well, you know, the, the reality is, is governance is not working, right? Governance as performed today is is not working and and so if if we want to lead we have to recognize okay what we're doing is not where we have to do something different and maybe that involves dissecting things in the data space and figuring out what really does work and how to address them or maybe it means something else now personally my view is is that we have we are trying to work too much in, in a current organizational structure that is just not fit for data. And we have shied away from the hard problems. You know, another example of that is culture. I mean, so, you know, we talk all the time about data culture, data culture. So, well, well, you know, like where are you really, where are we really addressing that? 
And, and so, so, I mean, this is what, you know, we have not done the kinds of things that we need to do to recognize the current reality and get beyond it and move beyond it. And by the way, I hope people in data makes it easier for leaders to do this, right? To see, okay, we did not know we needed to get everybody involved. We get that now, right? We did not know we needed to attack quality in this way. We know that now. And, and we can get on with it. Well, one of the things that you, you touch on, well, one of the things I also appreciated when it comes specifically to data quality, there's no shortage of metrics that you've thrown out about the opportunities that sit in front of us for when we actually do figure this stuff out, right? Like the, the, the jaw dropper was the $3 trillion of negative impact. I think it came from an, from an IBM study, but you, you threw out a bunch of other, uh, a bunch of other data points uh, as well. I also appreciated that, you know, you, you lay out a lot of reasons for why we got to how we are. One of them, to me, a little bit of an aha moment, something I guess we've always known, but just kind of like the, the, the function specific, the manufacturing specific, maybe even the kind of the manufacturing line specific way of how we allocate work within an organization makes it, makes it harder for CDOs to succeed. Role ambiguity is certainly something that, that, you, that you touch on as one of the four core reasons why we got into a pickle. Uh, role ambiguity, just something that you just touched on. And it's been a really a common theme in a lot of the conversations that I've had with people about CDO related challenges. So obviously there's something there for, for folks to, to figure out if they're being recruited for a CDO role, really, really, really drill down on what that role uh, means and how successes uh, are defined. Another area that I, that I enjoyed um, with the book was discussions related to, I think what you call consumer and supplier type relationships and how important those are. They, they seem to me to look a little bit like kind of more of a data product type approach. W would you agree? Although you didn't really kind of say that directly. Let's go into this discussion a bit slowly. The, the, the first thing that, that um, I, I want to do is, is I want to make clear that everybody and every corporation everywhere and, and in their day in and day out lives too everybody serves in two roles. First of all, they're a data creator and they're a data customer, right? And, and so I'm not, I'm being very precise with the words, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not using the word consumer. Data doesn't get consumed with use, right? It's still there afterwards. Consumer's not right. So, and so the fundamental idea of these jobs, you come into your job and as a customer, the stuff is not, you know, good enough for you to use. So you have to clean it up, fix it up. Right. And if you get into that trap, then that becomes the, 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 the thing that goes on every day. And uh, people depend on who I talk to, you know, a, a quarter to a third to a half. In some cases, three quarters of people's day is spent cleaning up data. And and the way you have to break that is you say, well, gee, why do I keep getting bad stuff in? And and the answer, the, the, the resolution of that is to reach back to the creator. Right. And say, you know, hey, look, here's what I'm seeing. Let's get some metrics around this. Can we, you know, put some some cost on it? Can we can we identify and eliminate the root causes of error? Can we put in some control so so things don't come back? And and, and so fundamentally, I just went through a few things. People understanding themselves in roles as as customers and creators right? Articulating the customer's needs, measuring against those needs, finding and eliminating root causes of errors and control. So root causes don't come back. That's the way quality works, right? I mean, that's the only thing so far that has, has, has led to, to big improvements, 
All right. And so now, and, and by the way, I mean, I, I, I uh, it's, this has proven itself in, in industry after industry. We've gotten lots of case studies in, in the public domain. So with AT&T and with Chevron and Air Energy and, and, and so forth, right? I mean, this is, this is out there now. Now, you asked the question about product management. So product yeah. management is, is, is kind of interesting, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, it, just this idea that you're going to come in and, and do quality, those, those steps. I mean, it may not translate into an overall program for the company, right? And, and so how programmatically are we going to describe this? And so you may want to put a wrapper around these steps that, that I just talked about. And a good wrapper would be data supply chain management. Or a, another wrapper might be uh, supplier management, external supplier management. Or a Six Sigma is a wrapper that people in that, you know, with, with that set of tools might use. And, and so as far as I'm concerned, like the, the, uh, the data product manager wrapper, Right, that could be a, an effective wrapper. I, I want to see it happen, kind of thing. I was, I was just at a conference recently, so people talked a lot about it, and there was a lot of you know good ideas, you know, and and not too many success stories. It seemed to hinge on whether a set of customers, uh, a group of customers' uh, needs were similar enough that you could satisfy a bunch of like needs with one product as opposed to sort of the one-on-one -on -one that the customer creator model leads you to. Right. And, and I think there's a subtle difference here between what you and I are hearing at conferences, which is mostly in my perspective, data as a product, meaning as, as a productized widget, something you sell versus product management as what you would call a wrapper. Right. Or is what I would call more of a mindset or a discipline, potentially, as a way to kind of look at your role as a creator of data. Yes, you're a consumer. We all consume reports, but you're also creating it day in and day out. And if you took more of a product management approach, meaning thinking that you had customers to keep happy, uh, that that could be useful. And that's slightly different than saying, OK, data is a product and we need to put a skew on it and we need to market it and we need to put it on a marketplace which I think is a lot of the conversations today. There's a nuancy difference there, I think. And what I read in the book kind of aligns more to the, the idea, again, is product management as maybe an overarching discipline. And I think there, I think there may be something there. The only, the only thing that, that I, I wonder about, because if it was a product and I was a product manager, I'd, I'd be selling things and I'd be making money. And <laughs> one, one thing that I, that I would wonder about is, you know, if I'm just a, you know, I, I'm doing, uh, I'm, I'm putting entries into a general ledger or I'm, or I'm doing credit checks for, you know, a new supplier I'm onboarding. I may not be thinking that I'm a data creator and I may not be thinking about those downstream impacts. And I'm, and I'm probably not paid on data quality. I'm paid on how fast I put stuff in the GL. What do you see there's potential bridges to, to bring those worlds together, particularly around maybe the idea of incentives for doing better data quality? Is that, is that, what do you think about that? Well, I, I, I think you're, you know, you may be taking two steps and we're, you know, let's go one at a time. Okay. Okay. Right. I, I mean, the first thing is, is just, you know, well, like when, what is, what are the experiences of people when they reach out to data creators and say, Hey, I need help. Right. You know, you, you know, the stuff you're providing me is, is, is not getting the job done. And, 
and and look, all, almost every data creator wants to help. I mean, particularly if somebody is wearing the same badge. Yeah. Um, I find that you know some managers are are horrified, right? That the that the data that you know their teams are creating would you know would not be meeting, uh, would not be meeting the needs of of people inside the the company. Um, I want to build on this too a little bit too. It's like you know with people who are on the front lines and maybe having the first contact with customers, right? So maybe they're in a sales role or, or something like that. But, you know, getting that data right, it, it sets the tone for a lot of things throughout the company. And, and it's really, really hard to recover if that data is, is not right. But I don't know, in all, I, you know, in almost every situation, right? Explaining, right? Well, okay, yes, you got to make the sale. Yes, you have your... Your, your productivity quotas and so forth. But also look, you're part of the enterprise. And, and if we're gonna keep this customer for a long time, we gotta get certain things right. And let me explain how, you know, what happens when you get stuff wrong, how that impacts the rest of the company. Over and over again, people have been so respectful of that. Um, I, I wanna go one step further, by the way. I mm -hmm. mean, if you think about it, like like think about how dehumanizing it is to say, Malcolm, your job is to fill in that field, right? As mm -hmm. opposed to Malcolm, we need you to get this field right. Because if you don't get it right, then here's what happens in regulatory reporting. And here's what happens when we try to sell more stuff to the customer. Here's what happens when we try to, try to build them, right? I, I mean, providing you the context for doing your job that's just treating you like a, you know, like a human being. And, um, and in that context, I, I don't know, I find almost, almost everybody responds well to that. So, so look, I mean, I think that's, you know, I think that's step one, the idea of data as a product. I mean, it's a, go ahead. You have a question. No, it, not, a, not a question, but what, what I'm, what I'm hearing you say, the, the way I'm internalizing what, what I'm hearing you say is that we may not necessarily need or even get to a point where like transactionally I'm given like a nickel every time that I enter in something correctly. Cause I don't want to be a machine and I don't want to be a data entry robot. I want to be a part of something bigger, which is, which, which is what I think I'm hearing you kind of say, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing you, but getting back to the incentive thing and realizing that we do have to pay mortgages and feed our families and all those other things. I, I'm, I'm wondering how much of this could be solved by, you know, maybe what, would be more of a kind of a private company approach where I actually have some ownership in the broadest stake of the company. I know I'm going way off, way off track here, yeah. but I, I had a little bit of an aha moment there because I've always, I, I tend to think a little transactionally about these things. And what I just heard you say is don't think transactionally, think bigger picture, think broader scope than just capturing and entering data. And that in and of itself, I think could be useful in helping maybe data leaders figure out what incentive models might look like here or what process owners might, might uh, you know, from, from the perspective of, of some sort of incentive. So I, I cut you off, but I'm, I'm thinking of talking at the same time. Not a good combo. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, look, let, let me make a, an important point. I mean, there's some stuff going on and sort of like, you know, data mesh that's, you know, that's, it's got a lot of people excited and it's sort of, like, you know, like on these incentive things and stuff yep. like this. But the way most data quality, most great data quality programs start is not with the creator, but it's with the customer. Right. So being a good customer is really, really the key here. 
And and most of us come in and we kind of think, well, I'm entitled to, you know, whatever I need to do my job, right? And then, well, if it's not here, okay, I'll fix it up and, um, you know, and I'll get through my day and I'll get my productivity stats. But what's really required, you know, I mean, what the way things have really gone well is when somebody said, you know, this is never going to work. I'm going to continue to work 12 hours a day, right? I'm going to continue to use more. I'm going to continue to spend more of my time fixing up data. I have to get in front of it, right? And, and the first step is for a customer to say, this process does not have to work this way. This is no way to run a store. And then they have to do the hard work of figuring out what they really want. Okay, and and articulating that in a way that then you can go talk to a data creator and say, hey, these, you know, these are the kinds of things I I really need. This is what what good data looks like. This is what I'm getting. How do we work together to, you know, get me better data selfishly kind of thing? I have not seen anything that didn't start with the customer recognizing that there was a better way. Yeah, right? that there had to be a better way, and 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 reaching back and and so you know the incentives around the the creators. I mean, I haven't worried about those. The incentives around the customer are: you're working twelve hours a day now. Six of it is non-value added work, cleaning up junk that you shouldn't have to clean up. Right? Make that so that it's no longer six hours. It goes to four or two, and maybe it'll stop at one. Right. And now you can actually spend a greater fraction of your day doing your job. Right. And, and people don't need to be incentive on, on, on that. That's that's what they want to do. That's why they took this job in the first place. Now, you do highlight, though, in the book that the people who drive those changes right, are unique. Right. Yes. And, and, and that they are they are unique. You, you call them provocateurs. Right. Yes, I call them provocateurs. I and mean, look, these to me are the heroines, the hero, heroes and heroines in, in the data business are those who recognize that the path we are on does not go anywhere good, right? And we have to get on a better path and they figure out a way to, you know, to do that, right? And they're, you know, and, and the reason they're provoca- provocateurs is, is they figure out a better way and they provoke the rest of the organization to do better. Right. Finding those provocateurs helping them and maybe even incentivizing them or at the very least acting out or creating partnerships with them. Cause in theory, they're going to be in those roles in supply chain, in finance, in wherever these roles are. Cause they're, they are the customers of the data. It's finding those people and really kind of promoting them and helping them and working with them. So do you see a role from within the data and analytics team then to, to maybe find those folks and to, to, to help them to, you know, act as a, in a consultative way with those folks? Well, look, I think it's the most important role. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the most important thing I do, right? I mean, the way, you know, I, obviously I, I don't work for a company. I don't go look for them. But when people reach out to me and, and you know, basically they're saying, you know, hey, I'm wandering around this. It doesn't make sense. I mean, can you help me sort it out, right? You know, provocateurs know things about finding oil and, and, and um, you know, meeting regulatory requirements and, and selling stuff to people. They don't, you know, they don't know things about data, but, but what they are is they're smart enough to have a sense that what they're doing doesn't work. And then, yes, these are exactly the kind of people we want to help. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I don't think I use the term in the book, but like these are the high leverage people, right? 
And, and what's really interesting, Malcolm, is, is that organizations are loaded with people who have a great idea and are afraid to speak up. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and so, you know, I, I, I mean, if we can do anything to like, you know, get these people speaking up a little more and seeking help, then that would be great. Now, by the way, this is going to put real high demands on most people in the data spaces. So most people in the, if you're working on quality, mostly what you're doing is, is you're implementing a tool to find errors. You're not figuring out what's really needed. You're not figuring out how to put simple measurements in place. Right. You're not figuring out how to make root causes go away. Um, you know, you're probably thinking more about, you know, can I use AI to better find errors than you are about how do I get to the root causes? Um, well, you just touched on something. I think that's 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 is really, really relevant for the average CDO or VP of data and analytics. And if you've got somebody in that data quality role who is working to define rules or manage, you know, ex exceptions to the rules, Maybe instead give them a week, a month to go sit over the shoulder of somebody working in supply chain or in finance or in marketing of the very groups that they're setting up the rules for or managing the exceptions for. Because I, I think just having that insight, that, that process level insight could be could be hugely valuable. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, I, I, all the real I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, but the important action with data is happening with regular people. Right. right. And and I mean, it's not to say that, you know, there's not cool stuff in AI and great potential there. But right now, right, the problems and the opportunities lie in in hundreds of, of thousands of mundane little data quality issues between, you know, this customer and this and this customer and this creator, right, and getting them together, right, to helping them. To, it's, it's what's transformational. It's what right. builds the culture, right? Well, maybe instead of a week a month in, in, in governance committees, you, you spend a week a month in, you know, some sort of like design type ses sessions. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking and problem solving at the same time here and, and talking. Right. Let, let's transition a bit to, to one of my favorite areas. So one of the other kind of you, you, I highlight four kind of root causes of a lot of our data related woes. Um, we already touched on the one, which is role ambiguity. Another one is, is silos. Mm -hmm. And 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 one of the responses that that you highlight, and one of the things that that data leaders can do, is is to develop what you call kind of fat pipes. I'll, I'll leave the depth of that for the for the book, um, but one of the the kind of the deliverables there kind of goes to a place near and dear to my heart, as as you know, which is our beloved common language. Right. And we've really struggled with the common language uh, a lot over the years. I did appreciate your your insight in the book um, with a recommendation to kind of focus from a data modeling perspective on a bit of a more of a party uh, and, and kind of data modeling perspective, because I think that's that's huge, right? I think we, we muddle a lot of things. We, 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 we muddle concepts of an entity with relationships and entities. One of the areas that you, that you outline in the book where we muddle things is roles. Um, and we, we kind of model role with entity and really just, just extracting these things, you know, vis-a-vis -vis, uh, better data modeling can go a long way to creating that, that, that common language. But, but I do know that that common language is, is still problematic. Do, do you see, and, and I'm being provocative here because you just mentioned AI, so let's go there. Do, do you see maybe AI helping to play some sort of role in the, in, in helping solve the, the common language problem? Well, so again, I mean, let's back up and come to that question a little bit slowly. Okay. All right. 
Okay. I mean, you know, the, the first, the first is, well, why do we bring up a uh, common language at all? Right. And the reason, you know, I sort of bring up common languages is, you know, organizations are loaded with technical debt and, and it is making it harder and harder to, you know, do things like implement AI models and, and their silos, which make it, you know, harder and harder to, for people to work together kind of thing. Right. And so, so at the root of this is, you know, to, to the degree that data models are reflective of language that people use and the ability of yeah. people to work together depends on, you know, us establishing a common language, right? Common language lies at the root of, of a, a, a lot of really, really hard problems in, in organizations that are slowing them down in terms of, you know, just working together. And then in terms of really doing anything big with AI that, you know, depends on, on getting across uh, domains. But I think the, the bottom line is, is common languages is for almost all organizations now, they cannot attack it with their current organizational structures, right? They, 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 they will make the mistake of viewing a uh, systems don't talk as a computer problem and assigning it to their IT departments. And IT departments have been trying, I don't know, for two generations, you know, to, to, least, to yeah. try to bang stuff together and, you know, do it in the warehouse and, and whatever. And it's a really, really fraught. And and so, you know, the 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 um the the book introduces this notion of a fat organizational pipe that gets around these things and and there's a fat organizational pipe to, you know, to get at the common language thing. I do not recommend that anybody in their current, you know, in their current organization go after the fat organizational, uh, excuse me, go after common language without putting this structure in place. Now your well, question about, your question yeah, about AI, AI right? Yeah. So, so I mean, it's, it's really interesting. The hard part of common language is not language, it's common, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so so you and I only have a common language if we agree on it. Right? So can I, you know, imagine, right, you know, something in the background that's this scoping around, you know, coming up and said, well, you know, Malcolm, here's a hundred terms you use all the time and kind of what you mean by them. And Tom, here's a hundred you use all the time, you know, what you mean by them. And, you know, here's the overlap of 35 or something like that. Right. I, I mean, I can imagine that happening. Right. But then getting us to agree on what those terms are really going to mean. That part is, is the hard part. Okay. And so, you know, so other than, you know, in some dystopian, you know, scenario where computers have taken over and, and so, well, Tom and Malcolm, you don't have to agree, we'll agree for you, um, kind of thing. I, I, I don't see the common part, you, you know, in, in, I don't know, the next five years or so at mm, least. Okay. Okay. Well, it, five years is a long time. Um, it, it would appear in in the world of AI because things are changing drastically. When it, when it comes to the when it comes to the common language, I agree with you. One of the things that AI seems to be particularly good at is is language. Now, the the, the commonality part um, we we could we could certainly talk about. But one thing that I'm excited about is that historically, challenge me on this if you disagree. A lot of data quality measurements and a lot of data quality tasks, a lot of data stewardship tasks 
are highly rules-based and are highly uh, deterministic, right? Either something conforms or, or it doesn't conform. Either it says customer or it doesn't say customer, right? And I am optimistic about a, a world where you could overlay probabilistic measures in the, in the world of data quality that are not just deterministic, but are also possibly deter uh, probabilistic based off of a whole bunch of other things that we also know about the context of how that data was created or how it would be consumed. So I think I do see some opportunity there. I, I do think we're to your point. I think we're I think we're years from it, but I remain optimistic that that, that I think that the computers can help. They'll never fully ever solve any of these things. What, so we, look, look, I do want to. I, I do want to get at this a little bit. I mean, look, data quality. I, I mean, it is a broad topic. Agreed. Right? You know, data quality. Data quality. You know, to a drilling engineer, what he, she, or they require is very different from somebody who's doing regulatory reporting in a bank, right? I mean, so so yeah. so there is this incredible range of of requirements and. And I, one of the problems I think, you know, that we have is too much is, is that we're going to find this, this, you know, sort of, you know, one direction for solution kind of thing, right? I mean, the only thing that has consistently worked is what I talked about before about, you know, customers, creators, understand your needs, right? Measurement and, and find and eliminate root causes of error. But then when you get to controls, right, you know, inside, is this piece of data correct or, or, or something like that? That is broad and, and fascinating, all right? Right now, we're dealing in the situations of typical data quality measurement for, you know, a typical, uh, just a typical somebody doing it in any kind of work, 60%, right? And we're not trying to go from 60% to four nines. We're trying to go from 60% to 96% kind of thing. And, and so that is much more about, simple tools, consistently applied management, right? If we get to the area where, you know, now we're at 99.2 and we need to get to 99.6, I, I have no doubt that we will need far, far more powerful tools, you know, than, than, than we're using now. Got it. And, and I, th I think your point is, is valid. Um, and, and I did applaud you in the, well, as in my mind, as I was reading the book, I mean, you, you did define data quality, I think accurately. So, which was kind of this idea of what I would have said at Gartner's is kind of loosely defined fit for purpose. Um, and, and you, and you just highlighted that, like what, what is data, what is quality to one consumer is different than that is quality to another consumer. And there are some basic things that we can be doing to improve a lot of life, whether you are a creator or a consumer of that data. So, so point extremely, extremely well taken. On that note, Tom, I have enjoyed the conversation as I always do. I hope our listeners and viewers also enjoy it. Uh, People in Data now available at a bookseller near you because it will have released two days ago. So congratulations for that. I enjoyed yeah. the book. I, I would recommend it to all of our listeners really, really help you kind of think in a different way about the role that people would play um, and maybe even get you thinking in a little bit more of that consumer supplier uh, type mindset, which I think is, is is very valuable. So, so Tom, thank you. Yeah, thank you. But by the way, I, I, I do want to bark at you just a little bit. I, I want... <laughs> Wouldn't be a conversation between us if you didn't. Yeah, I, I do want you to adopt the language creators and, and customers. And, Creator um... customer. I love it. Yep. I yeah, love customers. I mean, right? I mean, and, and it did just, you know, 30 second lecture, right? Either you create it correctly or you have to deal with it downstream. 
right? And, you know, you may pick it up from a supply from someplace, you know, entirely different, right? So this, you know, that point is not some, you know, the old man's gone off the rail on language. It really is reflecting what you need to do to get, get this stuff right. I love customer. And, and if I misspoke earlier, I should have said customer because I'm all about that. And we taking more of a customer centric view on everything we do. Life's going to get better for data leaders out there. So with that, Great. my thanks thank you, again, sir. Tom. Congrats on the book. Thanks for thank your time. You. And thank you to our listeners. We will see you on another episode of CDO Matters sometime very soon. Thanks all. Bye.